We do thank you that you love us, you welcome us, you accept us, even in a sign of baptism as a public outward action that shows your amazing work that you're doing inside of us. So Lord, I pray that this morning uh, a possibly contentious issue uh, will be made clearer and that we can look to you and your direction and instruction for us and our church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1500s, there was uh, the Reformation, is what we called. We looked at this last year a little bit, of where the church got turned on its head. And it revealed lots of different things. One of the thing that re- things it revealed is the Christians, or churches, like fighting. And they like fighting a lot. So in summary, what happened in the early 1500s up to now, moving through uh, that medieval time, uh, there was one main church, that was the Catholic Church. Uh, They'd become really corrupt in that time. Uh, It was all about money, business, not about Jesus, not about the Bible. Some guys like Martin Luther came along, says, hey, but the Bible's exciting, it brings us to God. We need Jesus to be saved, not the church. Uh, So translated the Bible into different languages, so everybody could read it. But what it did was to say, okay, here's scripture, and instead of the church telling us what to believe, we can read this for ourselves and work out what we believe. So some people uh, looked at different things, they had different opinions. Baptism was one of those things. There were some people uh, who saw baptism as important to to indicate we're a part of God's family, part of his body, the church. Uh, But there are other people who had questions about that, like what happened If I was baptised as a child in that era of the Catholic Church, who was very corrupt, it wasn't really a church functioning as God's family at all, did that baptism really count? Because now as an adult, I can see that I need Jesus. And I trust in Jesus, I repent and I trust in Jesus. Now, should I be baptised as an adult? Lots of people were being baptised as adults uh, in the New Testament. So should I be baptised? So a lot of people said these people were called the Anabaptists, like that was their denomination. So let's go down and let's all be baptised, even if you were baptised as a child. There's another group of people that said, no, there's no word of people being baptised twice in Scripture. So uh, what you're doing is wrong. And in that day, if you were called a heretic, if you didn't believe the right teaching, uh, you're often burnt at the stake burnt in the street but what the the, the group that didn't believe in a second baptism did uh, and here's a picture of it here uh, they would do uh, public not burning in the street but you're a baptist and you're anabaptist and you believe in another baptism well here you go we'll tie chains around you and we'll drown you for being a heretic these were serious fights they're not just two people with different opinions there's life and death at stake about your opinion on baptism of all things Churches love to fight with each other. And baptism is one of those things that pushes people's buttons for some reason. Even in the New Testament times. So the Apostle Paul, uh, so the apostles went around baptizing people. They'd preach about Jesus, people would uh, repent, they'd give their lives to Jesus, and then they would be baptized. But then there was some debate. You know, I got baptized by Paul, so that's pretty good. And somebody else says, Well, I was baptized by you know, somebody else, and that's not so good. Does that mean I'm not as good a Christian? So there's this debate about who you were baptised meant how good a Christian you were. So Paul even writes in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 14, right at the start of his letter, 
uh, trying to unite these people who are arguing about who's a better Christian because of their baptism. He said, I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Uh, so none of you can say that you are baptised in my name. Oh yes, there was also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. I think that's an amazing few verses there that just says, look, baptism is important, we're going to do it. But only because of Jesus. Preaching Jesus, repentance to Jesus is the important things. The other staff says, I don't even remember who I baptised, so don't get a swelled head or a puffed up spirit because I baptised you. It shouldn't be held in that regard. Because it was dividing people even in that day. Even today, uh, churches love to argue about baptism. Uh, I remember it wasn't that long ago that uh, Kim and I decided to make an effort to uh, meet some of the pastors in our local areas, just get to know some of the churches. So we invited uh, a pastor of an independent church around to our place with his wife for morning tea, just a friendly get-to-know-you. Get uh, he walked in our door, shook hands, no sooner sat down on the seat and said, you Presbyterians, you believe in infant baptism. That's not in the Bible. You guys are wrong. <laughs> no, nice day, isn't it? Or I'll have tea or coffee. It's baptism. I'm like, what is going on here? But we like to fight. It pushes buttons. You guys are different. You guys are wrong. What are we going to do with that? So why do we fight about baptism? What, what is our view on baptism? We're a Presbyterian church. But what, what do we practice here? How does that work out? What does the Bible say about baptism? That's an even more important question. But also the idea of children is another big question for a lot of people. Do we baptise children or shouldn't we baptise children? What is biblical there? We're going to work through a few different passages just looking at uh, what baptism is and what it's not, where we get it wrong. Uh, and then we're going to just revisit, just pull together a few thoughts uh, in regards to children and baptism, uh, what, we, what we think here and the way we put that into practice. So that's where we're going, trying to resolve some of those issues. One of the foundational passages or stories we had read for us in Acts chapter 2, and it's where uh, this is the first sermon ever preached since Jesus had been killed he rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven. So the disciples got together. They waited in the room for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit came. They come out. Uh, the disciples were speaking in tongues of different languages. So everybody gathered around because they could hear the gospel being preached in their own language. And then Peter stands up and says, look, this is how it is. And gives this amazing sermon about Jesus. It's in Jerusalem. Uh, it's at Passover time. So there's lots of Jews everywhere. Uh, and they're hearing this message about Jesus. They would have heard of Jesus in their travels. But to actually say Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Christ, that he is the one to bring you into relationship with God, this is like really confronting for them. But then many get to that, the end of the sermon and say, uh, what shall we do? And then Peter replies and he gives us this picture about the next steps. What should you do? He said, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
Now, there's a few different things going on here that he's uh, pulling together in this idea of baptism. Uh, the bit about the, for all your children who are far off, we're going to come back to that one a bit later. But the few things about baptism, what holds it together is this idea, repent. You've got to be repentant. Uh, turn to God to be baptised. That you're baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. That's error as well. We can get these sort of concepts sort of blending into each other. And at that time, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's there as well. So there's these three concepts that are going on. We're just going to have a look at these three concepts. Like, are they biblical? How do we see that playing out in the New Testament time so we can understand how they're playing out for us today? So it's not three different baptisms. It's one baptism. But these are kind of good... It's a good three... We're not going to cover every aspect of baptism this morning, but these are three main areas of baptism. The repentance uh, for the forgiveness of sins, that you baptise into the name of Jesus and that we receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, so baptism of repentance, is that biblical? Yeah, well, we see uh, John the Baptist went around uh, getting people prepared for Jesus to come and John says, uh, or we're told about John, that he went into the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins doesn't just, uh, just say he was baptising people. It was a baptism of repentance. So what does that really mean? Uh, repentance simply means turning around. So he's saying a baptism of repentance is you've, if God's over this side and he's calling you to him, calling you into his family, and you're going, actually, God, I don't want to live your ways. I want to live life my own way. And you're travelling in life, rejecting God, trying to ignore him. But at some point in your life, if uh, God gets your attention and you turn, that's called repenting, that you're actually turning back to God. And as you turn back to God and start walking back to God, it's a change of lifestyle, isn't it? You're actually a new person because you're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for God. And by turning around and walking back to him, uh, what John the Baptist is saying, don't just do it in your head or even do it in your heart. Actually make it a public, outward um, recognition of this change of life. So at that point when you're repentant, when you're turning back to God, why not be baptised? Baptism, to show everybody, I'm no longer living for myself, I'm living for God. Now, even for those guys in Acts, hearing that first sermon for the Jews, um, people were being baptised. You know, it wasn't a completely strange idea that people would be splashed with water. But it's that idea of, okay, if you're going to make a stand that you're no longer going to follow Judaism but follow Jesus, be baptised as a sign of your repentance, that you're no longer following your religious Jewish ways, but I'm going to follow Jesus' ways now, and I'm going to make a statement by being baptised. So that's simply the baptism of repentance goes together with, I'm going to follow Jesus now. Then there's uh, baptism into the name of Jesus. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of verses we could pull up where this is talked about. But one of the interesting ones is when Jesus himself talks to his disciples before he leaves and he gives them these instructions. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Now, it's interesting, if Jesus is calling them, go make disciples of me, followers of me, that's what a disciple is, go make followers of me. And he could just say, make sure when you go out to people of all nations, go out and teach them everything I I taught and teach them everything I've commanded you. He could say that. That's what you need to follow people, isn't it? You need to know what you're following, who you're following and what you're following. But he actually, before he says the whole teach them everything I've commanded you, he says, go make disciples of all nations, but baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and the Spirit. That's not different to just baptising in the name of Jesus. It's still baptising into God. Funny language, we don't use it that often today, but it's kind of the idea of you're being baptised into God's family. You're no longer your own anymore, your own identity. It's actually a change in identity, being baptised into this new community, and this community is centred around God. Actually, it's this unity with God, this oneness with God. So he's saying, if people are disciples, they're not just... You know, going to a different school or a different job or changing geographical cities, but they're actually coming into my family, to my community. So uh, being baptised into that is a big statement. So for the Jews in Acts chapter 2, hearing this for the first time, they're saying if you believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, that he is your Lord and Messiah, it's a good idea to go and be baptised, this public statement that, uh, that you're no longer following your own ways, but you're following Jesus, you're following him as a disciple. But also, more than it's your following, but you have a new identity, you're actually in God's family by doing that. That is hugely significant. In fact, if you're a Jew that day, and there are 3,000 people who believed, I'm not sure whether you noticed that, 3,000 people believed and were baptised. It's not just, hey, this is a nice thing to do. What they're doing is making a public statement to all their Jewish friends and family that that religious stuff that we were doing before, because the Jewish traditions had become very religious around the temple in that day, uh, I'm actually not trusting that anymore. I'm trusting in Jesus So much so I'm going to make a public statement through my baptism that I'm going to trust in Jesus and follow his ways and I'm a part of his community as opposed to the Jewish community. That was a big statement. We shouldn't take for granted. 3,000 people decided I'm going to turn my back on all my history, all my family, all that stuff that led up to me at this point and I'm going to start something new. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be baptised into the name of Jesus. Uh, so it is significant because I'm a part, it changes my identity and who I am, being baptised into the name of Jesus or even the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So that's what that means, uh, being baptised in the name of Jesus. You're, you're actually changing your identity. You're a part of something, part of God's family. Uh, and the next one, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that about? Is that biblical? And what is it talking about? So again, we see... John the Baptist giving uh, an explanation of a a bit of a hint on what to expect with that Uh, in Luke 3 where he says, John answered them all, they were questioning about um, why he's doing the things he's doing. He says, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's like... 
This guy, Jesus, is coming. It's not about John the Baptist. He's baptizing a baptism of repentance. Turn back to God. And in fact, I'm going to be more specific. Turn back to Jesus. And he's going to baptize you, not just with water, but he's going to bring you into that community through the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about there is, uh, and we see this fleshed out in the New Testament, how how it's worked out in people's lives, that that when we become uh, one with God, he gives us his spirit. That we're with him through his spirit. And he's with us through his spirit. We're united through his Holy Spirit. And that's a real bond. It's not just we're following some philosophy or some religious idea or ideals. It's actually a real relationship with the living God. And the Holy Spirit's a part of that. So through this baptism, through repentance, through being included in his family, we're also... It's a real thing that God gives us his spirit, that we're one with his spirit as well. Now he talks about uh, with fire as well, which sort of blows our minds. Now this is amazing, sort of what does this look like? Uh, we see uh, when the disciples are waiting to see what happens when after Jesus had ascended to heaven, uh, they said the spirit come on them like fire. It's interesting, they didn't do baptism, they didn't just get baptised and then this fire looking thing happened. It just the Holy Spirit comes, it's characteristic of the Holy Spirit, they saw fire. Uh, the disciples did amazing things through that time that, that they were doing miracles through the Holy Spirit and they were uh, teaching God's word and just um, using amazing, uh, doing amazing things, including things like tongues in that time was the work of the Holy Spirit. It's always pointed to the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a question of, well, should we be expecting to be baptised with the Holy Spirit and with fire, that sort of stuff today? So we saw a lot in, in Acts when it was all new and fresh. But what we see is it often authenticated what was real. So sometimes it was hard for them to see what, who was really coming to Christ and who was playing the game and God would give them a sign. No, these, these guys are really coming to Christ and they'd speak in tongues showing the power of the Holy Spirit. Most people in Acts, did not speak in tongues. If you see them being converted, being baptised, there's no mention of tongue speaking. But there's a few places where we often get drawn to and go, oh, is that a bigger blessing or a bigger baptism, more important? But actually, it's not the norm. Uh, God can do stuff like that. I believe still does do stuff like that today. But certainly the New Testament emphasis is on the Holy Spirit just keeps pointing us to Jesus equipping us with spiritual gifts so that we can point others to Jesus and we just keep doing that through the daily grind that seems to be the emphasis of the Holy Spirit doing that work so we come across this it's one baptism it's not three different baptisms we're talking about it's one baptism centered around this one idea that we're one with God through repentance we come to God through this, in the name of Jesus, we're brought into God's family. Through the Holy Spirit, God dwells in us. He lives in us. So all three aspects make up this idea of baptism. We're united with God in, in those actions. You can't separate one off, but all's one. So even in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, again, trying to clear some of the confusion about disunity in the church and, and different people's ideas of who's better than who, where he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You kind of get that use of that, those words just repeated and repeated. We're one, one baptism, uh, all involved in the family of God. There's not different 
areas that God's building his church. It's one baptism, one church. Now, the problem here is, it all sounds really nice, doesn't it? If we all get on board, it sounds really good. We're all repentant people, all part of the family, all being gifted with the Holy Spirit to serve each other, love each other, and point each other to Jesus. It sounds really good, but the problem is, uh, when we get to something like that, is when we're in the centre, that's all good, but when we focus on one area, so we move away from the centre, that's when we start to get into trouble. So what does that look like? So if we focus too much on the baptism of repentance, for example, um, you've got to say, well, who is able to understand what sin is? Who's able to understand uh, the concept of God and what it means to walk away from God, what it means to return, like to turn to him and come to him? It's really an adult concept. The adult's... Uh, have the understanding, I need to repent, that means I need to change my life, I need to call him Lord and start living for him. This is significant. Kids, we can talk about it, we can explain it, live it for a little while, but it's kind of like, it's an adult thing, so adults get baptised, is, is if you push it, we're, we're living in that repentance uh, realm, that circle there. And if we push that too hard then, you've got to say, well, kids can't understand it fully. They can't make a life-changing choice because they can't understand the full impact of it all. So kids aren't baptised, so they're non-repentant. So therefore, are kids Christians or not? Because if your Christianity depends on you know, the sign of uh, baptism, you need to be an adult to do that. So uh, there's a question mark on your kids they haven't repented, so are they Christians? I even heard a story that somebody that lives definitely in that realm uh, had a family, uh, one of their children died. They actually believed this baptism of repentance so much, they told the rest of the family, you know, their little uh, baby had gone to hell because they didn't know Jesus. They hadn't gone to the age of repentance and they hadn't been baptised. So you get this dilemma I should say, that's, that's wrong. It's not what actually the Bible teaches. Uh, it's a whole sermon involved in this topic. But just to say, um, King David gives us a really good example. King David, uh, in the Old Testament, has an affair with Bathsheba. They have, uh, she falls pregnant. Uh, they have a baby. And we sort of forget about this part of the story. But they have a baby, and this baby falls really sick. And while it's sick, David uh, goes to the temple and he pleads to God, or the tabernacle and he pleads to God he fasts and he prays that God would heal this baby and in the end God doesn't and the baby dies so then what does David do he goes back has a good feed has a shower cleanses himself and goes back to work and his servants are going David we don't understand what you're doing when your baby was sick you were you're almost grieving you're pleading to God but now when the baby's dead it's back to normal life we don't get it and the way he answers that he says this uh, thing, I, will go to, I know, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And what he's saying is, my grieving is not going to bring him back. You know, I pleaded to God when he was still alive that God would heal him. Now, he, I know he's dead, he's not coming back. But I also know I'm going to go where he is. Like David understands that uh, David's in this we use this word covenant relationship. David's in this relationship with God and it's not just a relationship for him but it's his household as well. This baby just born is in my household. It's in the covenant under God's care. He's in the family. 
So even though he dies, this baby died, it was a boy, uh, he knows that, has great confidence that he's gone to be with God in heaven and actually he's going to be waiting for me. Everything's all right. I'm going to see my child in heaven and he knows that. So you get these instances where it's explained how our children of believing parents are included in this covenant, included in the family of God that we can have confidence in. So the Baptists, the Baptist church, love this idea of uh, baptism of repentance. You only get baptised as an adult when you repent. What do they do with that? Because it's a bit of a theological dilemma then. If your kids, are they or aren't they in the family of God? Uh, so what they do is have a, um, a dedication where you dedicate your child, uh, which basically you, you say the promises that we would do as a baptism, but you don't use the water. It's a baptism without the water. Uh, so they can be baptised later, because we only want one baptism. Uh, so they can be baptised later. Now, that's pastorally a good thing to do, but it's actually not in the New Testament. That's the dilemma, because you're kind of trying to... You push one doctrine so far, you have to compensate with it another area. So... If you've got questions about that, talk to me another time. But it's, it's kind of like if you push it too far, you start getting yourself into trouble, this baptism of repentance. That's what I'm saying. Uh, that's the Baptists. They, they have a tendency to do that. Not picking on the Baptists because here come the Presbyterians. They are one with God, baptised in the name of Jesus. What happens if we live in that realm only and forget about the other two? Baptising, it's all about the community. It's all about this covenant that if you're baptised into this family, uh, it becomes a salvation issue. So not just part of the family that we're including you, but you're actually saved for all of eternity if you push that too far. That there's something about the act of baptism that's actually the sprinkling of the water that makes you right before God and includes you in the kingdom for all your life. Not just while you're, you know, till you work out your own decisions for your own life. Push that too far, and this is what happens. Uh, I was a part of a Presbyterian church way back in the day. It was a church in a city where uh, it was kind of like a, more of a cathedral looking. So we had a number of people coming off the street saying, just had a baby, can you guys baptise my child? Sort of a nice, warm, fuzzy thing to do. Because they weren't a part of our church. They weren't even Christians as far as I know. We just had a number of people come in. Uh, that request would go to our elders, and our elders are the ones that say they prove who gets baptized and who doesn't and a discussion that come out of that uh, eldership meeting that leadership team meeting was one of the elders says look I vote we baptize this child because I don't want to be responsible for this child going to hell because we refuse to baptize them so get what he's saying if we just do them with water in fact line up the babies sprinkle them all with water so they can all get into heaven so you go that far, you forget about the repentance, forget about the Holy Spirit, and you push that one too far, and you get yourself into trouble there as well. Now, this is why I think uh, Presbyterians, the Catholics, the Anglicans, who all baptise children, there are others as well, uh, have a bad rap on this, because we almost do it too liberally, and we read too much into it. We make baptism more than just an outward sign of what's going on, but we're saying that, that this is the act of bringing them into the kingdom of God. So we don't want to go that far either. Uh, we don't want to yeah, forget the others and just say it's all about being in the family through the sprinkling of the water. 
What about baptised in the Holy Spirit, the emphasis uh, that brings? So if you forget about repentance, forget about uh, in the name of Jesus, it's all about the Holy Spirit, that it's actually about uh, when you be baptised, the Spirit does these um, amazing things in your life that you can't miss. And, and it's this um, thing that everyone can see. So things like there's an emphasis on the Spirit's work in speaking tongues, the Toronto blessing or other kind of blessings that come out with laughing, jumping around. Uh, prophesying is in future telling a future, not just prophesying, telling people about Jesus, uh, and even healing in some cases. Uh, you know, you Benny Hinn type guys really push this, this sort of stuff hard. Pentecostal churches uh, can have a tendency. So how do you go to the Baptists? How do you go to the Presbyterian? Now, Pentecostals have a tendency, if they're going to pick on one of these, they go in this direction. But you've got to ask questions. Is it biblical? Well, there's a, we talked about there's an element of the Holy Spirit held with the other ones. But then we've got to ask questions. So in Acts chapter 2, the passage we had read for before, 3,000 people come forward. Uh, this is fresh. This is after the disciples were just speaking in tongues, doing these amazing things, got people's attention to come in, heard, heard the message of Jesus. They were baptised. Can, can you believe in that time if 3,000 people were baptised and then just went out speaking in tongues, doing healings and miracles, what that would do to that city? How many of those 3,000 people do you think did that? None of them is recorded that they spoke in tongues. None of them did miracles. None of them did all this jumping around different blessings. But in fact, what we are told they did, they started meeting together in each other's houses, breaking bread, sharing their uh, stuff with each other and encouraging each other in teaching of scriptures. Sounds pretty normal. In fact, like I said before, very few people we're told were speaking in tongues and actually... Every time we're told they're speaking tongues, there was a question about are these people really in the kingdom of God? And the Spirit just used that to show an, uh, another outward sign. Hey, these people really do have the sign of the Spirit. So the New Testament's emphasis is definitely on, uh, on pointing us to Jesus. So it's not like there's a second-class citizenship in the kingdom of God if you're not doing those things. It's the norm if you're not doing those things. Doesn't mean the Spirit's not doing those things today, but it's not the norm that he would do those things. So we don't want to push it too far on. It's all about the Holy Spirit either. So you can see, it's not three baptisms, it's one baptism. We've got to hold those three things together and we've got to hold them all tight because if we go one way, we end up uh, in real danger. That's why uh, baptism can divide. Because if we stick to our uh, covenant principles and fall out with a Baptist, of course he's going to ask, what about your children? That's not biblical. He's way in his spectrum, and I'm way in my spectrum. We're going to fight. So what do we do? What do we do uh, with baptism? What do we do with our kids in that? How do we work through that at Southside? Well, one thing we want to make sure we explain is uh, this whole idea of baptism, like we saw the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, like, hey, this is a good thing for you to do, but we're not going to fight about it. Uh, we have this illustration, if you've been around for a while, you'd hear it, that close hand, open hand. So close hand, you kind of, it's a bit like a fist. And we're going to put the things in the close hand that we find are really important. So salvation issues. So Jesus is Lord, is in that hand. We're going to fight about Jesus is really Lord. Uh, the Bible is the word of God. That's important. That's what the Bible, we're going to fight about that one. 
Uh, so all the important things, we're going to put in the closed hand. We're not going to give those things up. In fact, we might even fight about those things. But in the open hand are non-salvation issues. So uh, how we do morning tea, how we run this. Is it really a salvation issue? Is it really this is what we like doing? But we're not going to fight about that. Uh, do we do um, baptised children or adults? In fact, we've baptised... There was one day a few years ago we baptised uh, adults, children, some sprinkling and some dunking. Like, we did it all. Even children, if they're comfortable. Like, it, because it's an open-hand issue. It's about the baptism. It's about Jesus. It's about holding those three things together. So we're not going to fight about, is it sprinkle, is it dunking? Is it adult, is it child? Actually, we think it's all biblical. We're going to do it, so we have thoughts on it, but we're not going to fight about that. So if your child's not baptised and you feel like, oh, no, I'm a minority, they're looking down on me, no, we're not going to do that. Or, uh, or the opposite, I did baptise my children, nobody else has, now I'm the odd one out. No, we're not going to fight about that either. So we're going to make sure baptism's in the open hand, Our elders are comfortable with that. That doesn't mean we have an opinion on it, because we do we think it is biblical. So what do we do? With baptizing children. Uh, I should say before we do that, the danger of leaving baptism in the open hand, because we have left it there, is that we have a tendency at Southside to undervalue baptism, that we don't celebrate it enough. Because we go, we're not going to make a big deal about it, because we don't think the Bible makes a big deal about it, but in doing so, we actually undervalue what we're doing. Well, we should be celebrating an infant or an adult to go. Isn't it great that God's grace is so big that he includes us as a sinful adult into his kingdom, as a sinful child into his kingdom? That's awesome. And we're going to try and celebrate that. And we're going to try and do it better, whether it's infant or adult, because I think that's something we might have lost along the way, that we want to make sure baptism's a big deal, uh, because it is, we don't want to take the, God's family for granted. What about baptising kids? This is a question everybody's been waiting for, I know. Uh, is it biblical? Well, we go back to um, this, this part in Acts chapter 2, where it talks about uh, the end of Peter's spiel. Uh, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, in your first reading, you might go, well, that's plain and simple. It's for us and our children. Our children are invited into this disciple-making process. So, of course, it's for our children. But there's two ways of reading this. Uh, it could be for you and your children, meaning the next generation, and those who are far off, those even of other nations. That could be quite significant in the Jewish context, uh, meaning that... You know, it's not just baptisms for you, you group of people here. It's for everybody, baptism. Not just your immediate children while they're children, if you get what I mean. So there's two ways of reading it. So both sides of the debate want to use this to say, hey, we, we think it's backing up their point of view. So we're going to be open to it. But what it does do, it actually says, well, baptising children at least is on the table. We need to talk about it because the wording there, he didn't have to say children. He could say for you and the next generation. He actually says children. So it actually raised the question, what does that mean then? Uh, and we've got to ask the question, then, how does God deal with people and people groups? 
Because does he treat us all as individuals? Like we're a very individualistic society today. Uh, husband and wife can be a Christian and not Christian or different uh, religions and we try and make that work. Hasn't always been like that. Very, God has dealt with people as in families uh, as he still does today. And we go back to say, what is, what's going on in the Old Testament? Now we can go back like Jonah, uh, not Jonah, um, Noah in the ark, his family was brought with him. But if you look at uh, Abraham, where God gave the promises to Abraham that I'm going to bless you and through you, you'll be a blessing to all nations. Now, you kind of go, well, that's good for Abraham. And if we're looking at an individualistic way, he's going to bless the nations. But then a little bit later on, God reaffirms this, this promise by saying, look, you and your household are part of this promise of blessing. So what I want you to do is for you and your household to, to have an outward sign of this covenant I'm making with you of circumcision for the boys. So all the men, uh, whatever age, had to be circumcised. And that was the sign for the whole family. Now you've got to think for Abraham, he had his son Isaac, which was going to be uh, like a legitimate son who's going to live out and live with God and fulfil the promise. But he also had a son, Ishmael. Ishmael was an illegitimate son and uh, was told that God is not going to fulfill his promises of blessing the whole world through him. And Ishmael grew up to, to demonstrate that. He didn't follow God's ways and went astray. You go, why wouldn't God say, look, I want you to circumcise Isaac because he's the one that's going to have my promise. Ishmael, I oh, know he's going to rebel. Don't circumcise him. But actually the whole household, all the men, even the servants, lined up to be uh, circumcised. They were all included in it, the whole household. That sort of flows out throughout the New Testament uh, in the Jewish tradition of circumcision. You get to the New Testament. Uh, circumcision is not talked about as an outward sign anymore, but baptism is required as an outward sign. And you go, well, does, it, does God still operate in the whole household thing? Uh, and you see it's people like, uh, we're talking about Lydia's household um, so Lydia hears the news about Jesus, uh, shares with the household, whole household is believed. doesn't specifically say children, but you kind of got to say whole household. Uh, the same chapter, there's a jailer. He hears a message about Jesus. Uh, he repents and believes. His whole household is baptised. There's another guy, Crispus, later on in Acts. His whole household uh, is, uh, is baptised as well. Interesting story about Christmas. We haven't heard much about Christmas. His name gets a mention. His household gets a mention. Sam Harder and I were talking during the week about what does this mean that, that we're actually told his whole household is being baptised. And I'll give Sam the credit because he says, well, of course we know his children. If it's Christmas children, it's got to be salt and pepper, uh, salt and vinegar, right? He's... We kind of know his family, baby. Of course he had children. No, I don't know. But... You can see this idea, we're being told over and over again, whole households are being baptised. We see this idea of um, how God deals with King David, that he has confidence his son's going to be in the kingdom. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, there's quite a complicated bit of Paul talking about the children of believers being included in the kingdom. It's like, if we're going to say they're a part of the kingdom, why not publicly recognise that through baptism? 
So our children are little disciples because that's kind of what we're saying. If we're saying they're a part of the kingdom, we're going to raise them as little disciples. Even when they're born, we can make promises, uh, publicly recognise they're, they're part of our church family, part of God's kingdom. Let's uh, do the baptism to say we're going to raise them as disciples. Because the danger of... I'm not saying everybody does this, but what we want to avoid is to say we're, they're born sinners, so therefore they're born pagans, and sometime in their life... We're going to hope and work towards they actually have their own ownership. Now, of course, we hope they own their faith themselves. But in God's covenant family, we raise them as disciples, as little Christians. They'll come a point where they've got to make a decision for themselves. But we're going to raise them as little disciples. And that is consistent with what Paul's saying. It's consistent with what Jesus was saying. Go make disciples of all nations, even your own children. For me, there's a consistency there. So that's our view. We're happy. We think it's biblical to baptise children. In saying that in one hand, you know, leave it in the open hand, say, if you don't want to baptise your children and you've thought it through, we just want to make sure you, you think it through, that's okay too. You're a part of our church family. Uh, we want to love your children. We're going to try and encourage them to grow as little disciples of Jesus as well. If we're not going to fight about it. We're not going to judge anybody on it either but we're going to celebrate the fact that baptism is a good blessing from God uh, and do that well. That's what we're going to try and do. If you've got other questions, come and talk to me or one of the elders. We don't want to make this a divisive thing, but we do want to uh, stick to what's biblical. Uh, so let me encourage you to think about that. Let's pray as we close this time. Dear Father, we thank you for your love that through baptism, it's not about the water makes us saved. It's not about our actions or your promise that we cling to without our response, or just thinking of the Holy Spirit. But all those three things, Lord. Lord, let us also be reminded that if we are a part of your community, that we are baptised, that we need to take repentance seriously in our sin, that we celebrate the fact that we're baptised into the name of Jesus and they're welcomed into your family by grace alone. And through your grace, you've given us your Holy Spirit. Well, that is radical. Radically different from this world. Let us celebrate that fact. Lord, if we're here today and uh, whether it's our children or whether we haven't been baptised and thinking, well, it's not necessary, which is not necessary. But Lord, help us to see the, the good reason for us to celebrate the fact that your love is so great that you even welcome us into your community. Lord, help us to do this well as a church. Please give us hearts that won't uh, be, be in dispute about these things. Let us love one another with that love that you give us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.